everyone, and welcome to Behold, the podcast where we try to answer once and for all, what is the best comic book adaptation? Yes, be it movie or TV show, we'll watch it and rank it until we have our definitive number one. And who's we? Well, I'm your host Andrew, and as per usual, I'm joined by my co-host Mick. I am Groot. It's good topical, I like it. How are you today, Mick? I am Groot. That's... Again, I like it, topical. Might be one of the shorter episodes <laughs> if you are going to keep this bit of moderation. Uh, you know how I like to get in character. Uh, I, I'm okay today. It's been a good day. I've been on holiday as opposed to furlough, which has made a pleasant change for not doing anything on a Friday. Exactly. It's lazing about the house all day, but now it's your choice. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I should. I should actually be watching a concert right now, um, but that's not happening. I mean, to be fair, we are basically talking about a film that is kind of like a greatest hits of the seventies concert. That is true, and um, I, I did record a podcast earlier today, which. Equally, was about a film that feels like you're watching <laughs> a concert of greatest hits, but um, yeah, sadly, I am not watching an actual concert. Damn you, Cummings! Probably. Yeah, I don't now just assume I made some kind of clever joke about him being goings. Hey! Hey, topical humour. Anyway, I think now it's about time that we got hooked on a feeling as we behold Guardians of the Galaxy slash Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1, depending on how you want to classify it. Well, I I was having this conversation with my um, son, actually, about naming conventions about how it gets a bit confusing. And it it spreads the gamut of games consoles, computer operating systems, films, franchises, etc. So, like, Guardians of the Galaxy, not so bad, because it was always Volume 1, wasn't it? Well, no, no, actually, when it came no. out, it came out as Guardians of the Galaxy. It was Did when it? Volume 2 was announced that it then retroactively got renamed Volume 1. Right. Okay, because they did it with Rambo. Rambo changed its naming and numbering sequence throughout the franchise. You started off with First Blood. Then you had Rambo, First Blood Part 2. Then you had Rambo 2. <laughs> and they completely ignored First Blood at that point. <laughs> so, frankly, just let's call it Gotga. Yeah, so this is Gotka, the 2014 film, uh, directed by James Gunn, written by James Gunn and Nicole Perlman, and jumping back into the world of confusion, based on a Marvel Comics property. Ish. Sort of. Especially... A bit. <laughs> because, yes, I was trying to... When I was making notes, I realised... It's it's another much like what the name of the film is. It's it's a bit of awkwardness trying to say 
what comic this is based on. Because Marvel have actually had two separate and distinct Guardians of the Galaxy. So, to run through them, the first one was uh, created in 1969 by Arnold Drake and Gene Colan. And this was a team that was a group of aliens led by an astronaut named Vance Astro. Uh, and they came together to stop an invasion by an alien race known as the Badoon in an alternate future. Also, it's a little fun bit of trivia. That started as a one-shot story and took them five years to get their own series. Wow. I know. And it's weird because apparently when they came out, it was it was like it was quite a popular comic. It's just for some reason Marvel like, nah, let's let's not for a while. I mean, to be fair, this is a thing, isn't it? You know, popularity in comics doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get your own series. It doesn't necessarily mean sound business decisions are going to be based on the back of it. No, no. Comics and sound business go as well together as, well, Marvel Comics and sound business in the 1990s. But yes, as you might have gathered from that very brief synopsis of the original Guardians of the Galaxy, basically absolutely none of that is used for the film version. I think literally the no. only thing that carries over is not even the character, just the name of the character, Yondu. Because yeah. also the, the one who's in the film is completely different to the one who's in the original comics. Mainly because the one who's in the original comics is a teensy bit racist. In that way, the very... This is, you know, very clearly a a stereotype of Native Americans. But it's okay because it's an alien who's just a noble warrior and can speak to animals and is good with a bow and arrow. Right. Okay. Because usually comics handle that kind of sensitive subject so well. Yes, comics known for their careful consideration <laughs> of all races and <laughs> genders and sexualities. Oh anyway, the other team called the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, was created by Dan Abner and Andy Lanning in 2008. And that's much more kind of what the film is based on. Where it's basically like the space version of the Avengers. So you've got a bunch of Marvel cosmic heroes that are brought together to protect the galaxy. And, you know, if you read that series, it's got a lot of recognisable characters like uh, Star-Lord, Gamora, Rocket, Groot, and Drax, as well as some great other Marvel heroes like Quasar, Moon Dragon, and Mantis. Also, Adam Warlock is there. <laughs> Not a fan. No, I... I don't even know if it's that I'm just not a fan of Adam Warlock, or if it's that I'm fairly ambivalent towards him. I just find it really funny to constantly make jokes at an expense. <laughs> Wait a minute, you do that about me. Am I Adam Warlock? Wait, hold on. Take a picture of Mick, scribble over with a yellow sharpie, put a red dot on his head. <gasps> Do look like Adam Warlock. <laughs> You've never seen us in the same room either. Because one of us is fictional. 
<laughs> Wait, Adam Warlock's real? <laughs> but yeah, anyway, basically my point is, it's it's a little bit awkward. Because that 2008 team is clearly what the film is based on. But the 1969 team is where the term Guardians of the Galaxy originated. Right. And usually Marvel is so, so hot on keeping continuity and stuff together. Over decades before transforming them into films. Yes, again, up there with their great racial sensitivity sound business, <laughs> and sound business decisions. There's their strict adherence to continuity. So, Guardians of the Galaxy, building on those traditional strengths of Marvel. Indeed. Shall we do a synopsis? Let's. So, as always, this will, and in the discussion afterwards, contain spoilers. And uh, if you haven't seen it and you get upset by those spoilers, it has been six years. There's even been a sequel. In fact, there's a second sequel due to start production at some point in the aftertimes. There's also two other films in which the Guardians of the Galaxy pop up so you can kind of guess what happens to them. Mm -hmm. So, our film begins in 1988. Peter Quill, played by Wyatt Olaf, who was in the It movie that bugged me for ages as to why I recognised him. <laughs> so, Peter... I had, a, I, had a similar, I had a similar instance with... The, I've just been re-watching Jessica Jones and the girl that she's working to try and get off the murder charge. I'm going, who is that? Who is that? Who is that? It's Starlight from The Boys. Oh, yeah. Actually, isn't, um, what's her name? The, the lady who's sort of the head of the sort of media part of Fort Industry. She's in Jessica Jones as well, isn't she? It's like Jessica's weird neighbour. Yes. Yes, I know who you mean now. Yes. For a minute, I thought you meant the boss of Fort Industry, but that, no. Uh, yeah. I know who you mean now. Yeah. Yes, yes, I realised as I was saying the boss of Vought Industries, that is a different character, and yeah. so I had to kind of pivot to the media part. Yeah, it's the, it's the PR agent, isn't it? The one that's assigned to that's, market. Yes, it's the words in the English language that I meant to say. <laughs> anyway, back to, your, uh, yes. back to your synopsis. In other words, so Peter Quill is brought in to see his dying mother in hospital. Uh, after she suddenly flatlines, Peter runs away from the hospital only to find himself suddenly abducted by a group of aliens known as the Ravages. We then flash Oh, all the time, especially when, when, when you're having a bad day. Some milk. <laughs> you're having an already bad day. Things that things are happening that you're not quite sure about. You, you're struggling to come to terms with reality, and then Ravages kidnap you. I know. I mean, it's just like that song, isn't it? You know, you had a bad day. You've taken one down. You get kidnapped by aliens and forced into a life of space piracy. (laughs) (laughs) 
So we then flash forward to the present day where an adult Peter, now played by Chris Pratt, uh, is now a Ravager and is known mostly to himself as Star-Lord. He lands on the planet Morag uh, because he has been sent there by Yondu Udonta, played by Michael Rucker, the alien who kidnapped slash raised him, in order to steal a mysterious orb. However, Peter plans to betray Yondu and take the orb for himself so that he can sell it and escape his life as a space pilot. Uh, Peter and Yondu aren't the only ones interested in the orb, though. The fanatical Cree Ronan the Accuser, played by Lee Pace, wants the orb to give to Thanos, Josh Brolin, you know, from the Avengery films, <laughs> in exchange for his help in destroying his people's ancient enemy, Xandar. Ronan's crew include Korath, Jimon Hounsou, and Thanos' daughters Gamora, Zoe Saldana, and Nebula, Karen Gillan. Uh, after Peter escapes from Korath, Ronan sends Gamora to track him down, and Yondu places a bounty on Peter's head. Further complicating matters, Peter is also chased by Rocket, Bradley Cooper, and Groot, Vin Diesel, two bounty hunters looking to cash in in that above-mentioned bounty. So when Peter does arrive on Xandar to sell the orb, he's ambushed by Gamora, Rocket, and Groot, and the resulting fight gets all of them arrested by the Nova Corps and sent to the interplanetary prison known as the Kiln. So while in prison, Gamora reveals that she's actually planning to sell the orb herself so that she can escape her life as Thanos' slave. The four then decide to work together to escape, sell the orb, and split the profits. They're also joined by the alien warrior Drax the Destroyer, played by Dave Bautista, who hopes to use Gamora to get to Ronan so that he can take revenge for the death of his family. The team heads to the space station oh. nowhere. Because uh, it's a I, big head. I think we should also mention that kiln is spelled with a Y because it's in space. Oh, yes. I, I feel like I've watched too many of these things <laughs> that I just assume. Of course it's spelled with a Y. Why would anyone assume it's not spelled with a Y? <laughs> so... Team are on nowhere to sell the orb to the collector, Benicio del Toro, who reveals that uh, the orb is actually just the housing for an infinity stone, an immensely powerful artifact capable of destroying an entire planet. Unfortunately, while the others are talking to the collector, Vax tells Ronan where they are in the hopes of luring him into a fight. This goes poorly for Drax, and Ronan escapes with the stone, now planning on using it to destroy Xandar himself. Despite it going against their every instinct, Peter, Rocket, Boot, Gamora, and Drax decide to come together and save Xandar, going from Misfits and Outlaws to Guardians of the Galaxy, brackets, volume one, close brackets. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's the film. It, it, it's... It... It's a film that manages to sort of do everything at once. It's a space opera wrapped in a heist movie, wrapped in a buddy movie, wrapped in, uh, well, just general Marvel goofiness with a cracking soundtrack. It is. I mean, I think that's probably one of the big points. And 
kind of the theme the film is most famous for. It's an absolutely stonking soundtrack. Which is, of course, weaved into the narrative as well, a lot of the time. Um, as a lot of the time we hear the soundtrack as played through um, Star-Lord's Walkman. But yeah, yeah I, I think with the music as well, it's kind of, that's what stops it being a bit gratuitous. Mm. Yeah. So I know even something, like I know we've said before, Umbrella Academy, like we love it to bits, but that can sometimes feel like it's just, and here's another song we're playing for, just for the sake of having it on. Yeah. Whereas in this, like the music, it is tied to the plot. It is like an important bit of Peter's whole character thing yeah. is having that music. Yeah. To the point where even just making sure he gets it from the personal possessions locker as they escape the kiln is an important plot point and takes you off on a little diversion that you need to just um, have a little bit of business with. It's... Uh, It's a film that wouldn't have happened without the music, definitely. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think it's it's kind of one of those things that ties it a bit more to worth in a way. Mm. Like it's not just some, is some weird cosmic nonsense that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Because Guardians of the Galaxy, that, that was a hell of a film to sell. <laughs> I've just... I mean, well, I mean, we, we mentioned this when we covered Iron Man, didn't we? That, you know, at the time they brought Iron Man out, it was a it was a kind of risk because it wasn't the top-selling Marvel comic. Um, and again, by the, by the time Guardians of the Galaxy comes along, you're six years into the MCU, you've got this multi-billion dollar franchise running, and suddenly you go and make a movie, a big budget movie, based on this obscure series that very few people are familiar with outside of comic fandom. Yeah, of which two of the characters are a talking raccoon and his tree friend. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think, I think uh, you know, it's fair to say that your mainstream audience would probably sort of fit into two camps here. There's the ones who'd hear Talking Raccoon and his giant tree friend and go, oh, for Christ's sakes. And there's the other half that go, well, why didn't you tell me there was a Talking Raccoon and his giant tree friend? I'm in. They're, yes. the, ones, they're the ones who watch Twin Peaks. That's right. Once you've seen Twin Peaks, just nothing surprises you anymore, does <laughs> <Exactly>. it? <laughs> But how great a character is Groot in this. He is, like Vin Diesel saying three words just in every single line. <laughs> Somehow manages to become like this beloved cultural icon. <laughs> I know. It is fantastic. Um, because he, it's a bit like, um, and this is, this is one of those old people references Andrew, so you might need to go away and Google this, but it's a bit like the clangers from the 70s that spoke in this strange sort of whistle-based language. And when you were five, you understood every single word they were saying. By the time you're an adult, it's, what? What? 
What are you talking about? Oh, so that's why they don't use lead paint anymore. That's one of the reasons. Also, it was so flavoursome. I mean, you can't say that about modern paint. If you've no. got some left over, you can't just have it as a tasty treat. No. <laughs> Daddy, Daddy, when I've you finish got... the skirt, you both can all lick the brush paint. It's so colourful, it has to taste good. <laughs> oh, dear. But yeah, and I think really in general, like probably the biggest strength of the film is just how good the characters are. Yeah. And I, I, I think um, the great thing about it, and, and I think it's obvious from, from what comes out on screen, is that there must have been such great chemistry between the various uh, members of the ensemble cast, especially, I think, um, with uh, Sean Gunn scurrying around and being green screen rocket. <laughs> yes, I think every single <laughs> behind the scenes shot is incredible for this, yeah. especially the bit at the end where Drax is like gently patting Rocket on the head. <laughs> and you just see Dave Bautista like stroking Sean Gunn's <laughs> green skin. And it, it, it's almost, you know, you know, there was that um, bad uh, sort of rushed release of Cats where some of the effects weren't in. Ah, oh, imagine if Sean Gunn had been in Cats. <laughs> but what I was thinking was, imagine if they'd rushed released Guardians of the Galaxy and left some of those shots in. It would have actually just been funnier. It wouldn't have ruined the movie, I don't think. Ah, oh, yeah, I would definitely love to see Rocket just like inexplicably scurry up walls and <laughs> tear his own skin off like it's a weird zip-up suit. Cats, Cats is one of those films where every time I'm about to say a joke from it, I, I kind of have to stop myself and think, did that really happen or did I just dream that bit? <laughs> but then the answer is always, yes, that did happen. How do you think the director does? <laughs> I mean, I think he must be incapable of feeling shame. It's, it's the only <laughs> logical explanation. But yeah, so the, the, the chemistry between the characters um, is good. And I think um, I think even although by their very nature, because they're comic book bad guys, they're kind of two-dimensional anyway, they manage to somehow transcend that. As Ronan the Accuser is played with a certain relish, I feel. Yes, Lee Pace is clearly having a very fun time just hamming it up. Yeah, but in a way that doesn't ruin the the piece at all. It, it yeah, kind of it kind of lends itself to that, and that also it, it, does... got, it got me thinking as to um, what is what is the sort of promotion scale within the Cree? because he's Ronan the accuser, right? Did he have to work his way up to being an accuser? Or did, you know, is that just a stepping stone to, I don't know, 
Ronan the chief executive or Ronan the emperor or something. Yeah, so, so do you think he had to work for like several years as Ronan the tattler before he finally got that big promotion? <laughs> Ronan the rumour monger. Yeah. <laughs> Ronan, Ronan the gossipy. Ronan the hinter of allegations. Yeah. Ronan the alligator. It's fine, it's the Guardians of the Galaxy Batman mashup I never knew I wanted. <laughs> But uh, and I feel like the thing with Ronan is they're all like the massive over-the-top hammy acting is just building up for possibly the best joke in the film. Which... And he's gone again. I've got a new co-host. Oh, yeah. He's a bit more reliable. And when you're saying that about Deadpool... Oh, no. It's gone so badly that I've been fired. <laughs> I don't know. Should I just try just like closing Zoom down and starting it back up again? Do you think? Um, I mean, I've never seen this happen with Zoom before. It may just be you've got a slightly unstable connection today. Try doing it audio only. Yeah, maybe that's it. Um, stop video. Oh, okay, maybe maybe that'll help it out a bit. Fingers crossed. Yeah, and if you suddenly just go quiet, I'll I'll assume it's because I've asked you a difficult question. That's right. Okay, so so where were we? Uh, you were about to say that Ronan the Accuser, uh, all the hammy overacting is building up to the best joke in the movie, which is, and then literally you froze. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> well, the timing was perfect. It was almost like you'd done it on purpose. But I'm quite tempted to keep that in then, maybe. <laughs> And then playing so, some of that suspenseful music that they do on Strictly, where it's completely unnecessary to hold, make it last quite that long before they announce who's staying in. That's almost like they've tried to build an entire like half an hour show out of something that should take about <laughs> two minutes. That's right. Yeah. I mean, even not even that. It should just be, oh, you, you done, Slingy Rock. Yeah. Get out. And. <laughs> Anyway, as I was saying, the best joke in the film is the bit where Peter, in like an effort to distract Ronan, starts yelling about having a dance off. Mm -hmm. And just the look of confusion on Lee Pace's face and the quiet, what are you doing? Mm. He just he looks so genuinely confused. Like, I'm oh. curious to know if like maybe. They just hadn't told Lee Pace that was in the script. Yeah. And that's just genuinely him just being like, what is going on? <laughs> this isn't what I signed up for. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird film that shouldn't hold together because it's just too wacky. But weirdly, that kind of is what holds it together. It is, yeah, because it's, I think it's almost like the way it manages to be funny, but not even in a sort of like looking at the audience going, yeah, isn't this all a bit weird, Wink? Yeah, well, so, I mean, some of the best gags happen not off screen, but in the background 
detail. I mean, the bit where they're trying to assemble the, the stuff they need to escape from the kiln. And there's a lot of foreground action going on with Rocket and uh, Gamora and Starlord. And then just in the background, there's this little bit of business with the animated Groot, where he's just growing and reaching up and pulling out the thing that they need, which then sets off all the alarms. <laughs> yes, pulling out as Rocket is saying, now removing that is going to start the alarm. So whatever we do, we make sure we do that last. <laughs> but it, it, you just catch it out of the corner of your eye as he's saying that last bit. <laughs> Brilliant. It is just genius. It's so good. Also in that scene, I, I love the bit where like Rocket says, like the list of items he needs is that battery, a passcode, and that guy's robotic leg. Yes. And Peter goes through the whole thing like getting a leg. <laughs> and then Rocket just goes, Oh, I don't need that. I just thought it would be funny. <laughs> and, that, and that's a setup because there's a callback to that later, isn't there? Um, in the piece. I can't remember. It's, it's that, and I think it's like, oh, no, yeah, yeah, it is in this one, yeah. isn't it? Where it goes, yeah, I'm, I'm going to need that guy's eye. Yeah. And just everyone kind of stares at <laughs> But it is, it, it's, at, at times it verges on being airplane for cramming gags in, in that way. Um, yeah, but I will say what this one manages that I think even the second one kind of struggles with a bit, and a lot of Marvel films do, is it doesn't feel like it's putting in jokes at the expense of more serious moments. Yeah. Yeah, because it's got plenty of those as well. Yeah, like, especially especially the beginning, that first scene. I feel like I always kind of forget that first scene's there, because it's, like, quite rough, isn't it? That, like, Peter's yeah. mum dies. I, I I was watching that and thinking, am I watching the right film? Because everyone's listed this as a comedy. I mean, just, just imagine being Peter's granddad and, like, your daughter dies in front of you as you're swearing, don't worry, I'll look after your son, <laughs> only to turn around and he's just gone. It's like, Jew, woof. Yeah. He, he must have been kicking himself for weeks over that one. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, it's... Well, maybe Yondu just like, you know, send him a quick text or something, then just don't, so, don't sweat so, it. I'll, so I'll right, take him. <laughs> kid's fine. We haven't eaten him yet. <laughs> which is... <laughs> which... Which is always reassuring to any grandparent. <laughs> we haven't eaten your kid yet. You know, so, so something I really like about Yondu is this kind of that level of sort of interpretation as to what his relationship is with Peter. Mm. Like, because obviously he, he comes across as just sort of the evil pirate captain who's like, you know, get me this jewel or I'm, I'm fishing out into space. But then as soon as Peter does something like tries to con his way out of it or gives him like a troll doll instead of the Infinity Stone, he just breaks out laughing. Yeah, and he, he 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 never seems to suffer the same sort of fate as any other Ravager would um, if they stepped out of line. And I think that's the, the beauty is that they build on that storyline across the second movie as well. Um, 
which gives a lovely payoff as well in in volume two. Yeah, it does. Oh no, we're gonna have to do volume two at some point, aren't we? We are. We're gonna have to watch that final scene again. Yeah. I'm gonna have to pretend that. Okay, so so we have to pencil that one in for spring or summer, so that I can pretend it's it's the hay fever getting up again. Right. Okay. I, I mean, to be fair, but you know, if we do it while we're still in COVID regulations, you can just pass it off as I mean, tested positive. I mean, there we go. Every cloud's got a silver lining. Absolutely. It? You've got to look for the positives at a time like this. I mean, God, we've got plenty of time to do the looking, don't we? Yeah. So. Because, yeah, because this week's podcast is brought to you by me booking like four days off work, thinking, oh, that's no, going to be fun. I can go visit friends and things. <laughs> and then, <laughs> whoops. Nope. <laughs> well, it. It's brought to you with that in association with me having to cram in all the remaining annual leave I had because I couldn't go anywhere earlier in the year. Yeah, <laughs> uh, twenty. We we need to do just like a twenty twenty do over, don't we? I I, th- I think someone should do a remake. Of yeah, just gonna jazz up the CGI a bit. Yeah. Um... Maybe um, maybe get someone a little less hammy to play the president of the US. Yeah, it's, maybe someone I mean, a bit I, more, maybe someone a bit more competent to play the prime minister of the UK. Yeah, I got to you know. I was I was going to make a point about Ronan maybe being not the most believable villain, but then the real villains just aren't believable <laughs> villains. <laughs> I mean, really compared to it, compared to the cartoonishly over-the-top things we have in real life. Yeah. I mean, I, oh, it's be, positively restrained, isn't it? To be honest, right now, I took Thanos as PM. I mean, God, he'd, he'd get rid of Pretty Patel and a snap, wouldn't he? Literally, yeah. Anyway. So yeah, the, the actual point I was going to make about Ronan, though, yeah. is that I do feel like probably my biggest criticism of the film is that I think he suffers a bit. I'm just You can have a lot of his backstory told to you rather than shown. Yeah. Like it's just characters explaining, oh, he, he does not like the Zandarians. He's, he's proper argy with them. Yeah. Whereas I feel like you could have had you know, some kind of scene of like him talking to a, a Cree diplomat or something and being like, no, I'm not having this. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, there is, there is a lot of exposition um, in there. And that goes, that goes quite a bit of it. Quite, there's some stuff on Nova that's heavy exposition. Some of this, yeah, although they do visualise the creation of the Infinity Stones, it's still quite a clunky telling the history of the Infinity Stones. Yes, watch this informational video. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So now now then viewers turn to two page 235 in your textbooks, History of the Infinity Stones, and we'll continue with the film in a moment. Yes, the thing uh, it doesn't help that the collector's entire purpose there is just to explain what an infinity stone is. Yeah. And then explode. Yes. 
Yes, I guess it's probably it's mostly sort of the other side of this film, sort of juggling and balancing so many different genres together. Yeah, is you know there there are some things where you have to kind of make some cuts. Yeah, and it is it, the other thing is that without that Infinity Stone link, it 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 completely separate from everything that's gone before in in the MCU. So it needed that just to tie it into the Infinity Saga, which I believe is what the uh, first three phases have now been rebranded as. Yeah, see, God, it's all about rebranding. No, but I actually quite like that, like, a lot of the film is just its own thing, though. Mm. Like, you know, after I've watched, like, three different Captain America movies and also an Iron Man to know what this team is about. Yeah. And there's not a moment where it's like through three Captain America movies. Oh no, wait, I did that. I mean, I'd I'd still say it's not as bad as Avengers Endgame. That one bit where it very rudely said, "Surprise, Thor: The Dark World is important to the canon now." (laughs) Like, how dare you, Avengers Endgame? That was the one we all just wanted to push to one side. <laughs> that an incredible Hulk we can just like bury underneath some concrete and not think about. Yeah. Anyway, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Howard the Duck shows up as well. I know, right? And Cosmo's the space dog. Yes. That was, that was one of those scenes where it's, if not for the fact that we are British and so uphold a certain sense of decorum and gentlemanly conduct, I would have just stood up and yelled, it's Cosmo the space dog! <laughs> <laughs> the second um possibly the second most very good boy in the Marvel universe and certainly the one to appear in the best adaptation yes. oh lockjaw you deserve better it is where's that spin-off series you were the only one that just that deserved to survive but the problem is to spin it off you have to acknowledge that the Inhumans exists yeah I mean I mean this is where this is where the world of comic book adaptations is so unfair because the Inhumans was a poor adaptation right Lockjaw the best thing about Inhumans discarded on the televisual scrap heap Anson Mount gets his own starship Where's the justice? Where's the justice? I don't see bloody Hollywood double standards, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Can't give it some, can't give that a spaceship. It's only a dog, you know. Hmm. Still, there's a couple. Wouldn't it be great if, like, in the Eternals or something, just one of the characters just like disappears off screen for a second? Look at this dog I found. <laughs> 
opening scene where one of the internals goes to the rescue pound. <laughs> I just, oh, look, this dog was just sitting around next to all these skeletons. One of them has really long hair. <laughs> like Groove Backman. Oh. That's probably just the wig. They probably just stuck the wig on top of the skeleton. <laughs> Bottomed it off Ruby Rose after she finished season one of Batwoman. Yeah. God, they are. No, I was going to say the comparable point, but even the Batwoman wig is better than the Medusa wig, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh. I guess it also helps that that one is canonically supposed to be a wig. Yes, true that. But anyway, Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I think our probably not controversial stance is it's a good film. Yeah, and it, it, how good is it? Oh, it's a good question. Because I mean, the thing the thing for me with this is it's it's quintessentially a comic book movie because it's exactly that. It's a movie that's about having a good, fun escapist ride. Um, yeah, and I think it definitely it gets a lot of points from me from just leaning into the fact that comic books are full of really weird, cool things and this just leans into them. Yeah, and, you know, sometimes you don't have to explain them. Yeah, and also it has Karen Gillan in it. It does. It does have Karen Gillan, Karen Gillan in as Nebula. Yeah, which and it's it's weird going back into this and like watching it as just oh yeah Nebula, she's a pretty cool villain, rather than Nebula, she's really like maybe one of my favorite MCU characters now. Yeah, and again, you know, for what could potentially have been a two-dimensional throwaway villain role, there's actually a lot of depth to the character again across the two movies. Um, and there's quite a moving story attached to it as well um, that runs side by side with the main plot. Yeah, like her and Gamora have like an actual character arc. Yeah. Which, and I feel like in 90% of other films, it would just be, I don't like you, Gamora. I don't like you, Nebula. Let's do a fight. Yes. And oh, that would it- be the end. And now, and, and now we've had that fight. We've got it out of our system. We've made up. Let's do things together. The end. Or worse, they just kill Nebula off. Yeah. They might not even give her that one great scene where, like, she gets shot by the bazooka, and then just you see all her like limbs pop back into place. Yeah. That was another cool. It, I'm I'm so glad James Gunn got reinstated. I know it was <laughs> genuine. I I was going to say it was tragic when James Gunn got not just I think for him because like he's very clearly put his entire like heart and soul into this franchise. Yeah, and I think just yeah, it's good that Marvel realised just you can't do a third one without him. Anyway, where does this film rank, Mick, on our list of 1 to 23? 
with one being voter perdition, 23 being 30 days of night. Okay. Uh, just, just to give us a bit of um, sort of uh, scaling, what's our number 11? Or number our 12? Number of- where, where does that top half finish? Because I, I definitely feel this is a top half movie. Yeah, definitely. So that's uh, kind of skimming through some of the highlights then. Uh, like I say, Road to Perdition is number one. Hellboy is number two. Sin City is number three. Moving down the list a bit more, we've got The Old Guard at number 10, Umbrella Academy season one at number 11, and Winona Earp season one at number 12. And then right at the bottom, we've got Ang Lee's Hulk at 21, the 1990 Captain America at 22, and as I said, 30 Days of Night at 23. And 24, and 25, and 26. It's such a long film. <laughs> yeah, guys, no, 23 is like the first seven hours of 30 Days of Night. <laughs> Number 24 is the following, like, eight days. And then number 25 is the final year where you think it's finally over, but it's not and it still keeps going. I mean, if someone does a comic book adaptation of 2020, I still think it'll rank above 30 Days of Night. Um, so, I what's above Old Guard? Because you said Old Guard was number 10. Yeah, number 9 is Blade. Well, for me personally, it goes above Blade. Yeah. Oh, and well, definitely number eight is uh, Iron Man, and I think it's uh, definitely higher than that. Oh, yeah, because it's a lot more fun than Iron Man. It is. So let's see. So what's number seven? Number seven is Birdway, the movie, not the TV. Definitely not the TV show. <laughs> I, I mean, I think both of them are equally good. For, can we have joint numbers? We should really have thought out the rules on this earlier. Should have. Yeah. That'll, I mean, I guess I suppose... you come up with a podcast for, uh, format based on a cheese dream, won't it? See, so, and I guess usually this is where we would rely on the secret ultimate rule of it's my podcast, I'll do what I want. Yeah. But also, I feel like it's going to be a faff trying to make two number sevens. Okay. So. So we are back to it's your podcast and you'll do what you want. Okay. Okay, don't worry. I have an infallible critical method of doing this, which is I've got a random number generator from one to 10. If it's an even number, it goes in at number goes in as Angie number seven. If it's an no, no, if it's an odd number, she's going in as Angie number seven. If it's an even number, it'll go in as Angie number eight. Okay. And it's five. It's Angie number seven. Way! Goats have decided. Excellent. I mean, I was going to offer a third option, which is we go for the... What would Deadpool do? 
he would take over a little stab the list. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I feel the problem with that logic is Deadpool would do basically anything. Yeah, <laughs> just redefine the numbering system. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say we say that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy goes in at F. Oh, what if we do just make some kind of horrifically overcomplicated? Like, at number one is Rotobillion, at number one A is Hellboy. <laughs> it's funny time to review Avengers Endgame, and I think, oh, yep, it's coming at Epsilon. <laughs> no, surely um, Avengers Endgame comes in on your left. Oh, oh. Hey, hey. I'll get me coach, shall I? You should. Yes, I'm actually, I'm going to end the show here. Not because it was a bad pun, but because I'm incredibly angry. I didn't think of it myself. <laughs> so yeah, but before I do stomp off in a petulant huff, uh, if you do... It's the only way you do stomp off, to be fair. That is very true. If you do want to listen to more, you can find all our episodes on the feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you subscribe to the show, you'll make sure you never miss an episode. Uh, if you do want to get in touch, our email is beholdpod at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at beholdpod. And if you are a fan, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review on your podcast app of choice or recommended us to a friend. It's the best way for us to grow as a show and to reach new listeners. So uh, that's about everything. Until next time, I've been Andrew. And I am Groot. So long and thanks for listening.